Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. While you're giving, go ahead and get your Bibles, Bibles and notes out. Uh, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter number 20. Numbers in the Old Testament. It's way back to the beginning. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. I, I discovered something a couple weeks ago that my, my, uh, that was kind of interesting. Some of you know this is that my family roots go back to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and North Carolina. And that's where my dad was born. That, that's where my family uh, came from. Uh, family originally uh, came here from, from England. My, the Woody family did in the early seven, in the mid 1700s to the colonies and came to, uh, to Virginia and then, and then immediately went up into the mountains and they were mountain people. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Uh, the, just the stories I've heard from family the, the, from way back, but but uh, I, I was I was discovered something about Fort Worth history that kind of just like blew my mind. I was reading a couple weeks ago that the original settler, the original settlers here in Fort Worth, I mean the original original was a Woody. I was so excited about that, and her name was Jane Woody, and I I haven't done the family tree work yet, but she is officially Aunt Jane to me, all right? She is officially Aunt Jane to me, but uh, her husband, Preston Farmer, and and Jane Woody Farmer, they were Fort Worth's first settlers. In fact, it said that they were here before a here was here. That's what that's the way it's said about them, but in 1849, uh, George... And Aunt Jane, I don't care about George's paper picture because I, you know, I know there's no real relationship there. But they moved from the the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee out here to Tarrant County, and they settled on on the bluff where uh, the courthouse is today. And Jane recalled the early days out here. It's interesting in her memoir. She writes this. She says there was no sign of life anywhere, and nature was undisturbed. I mean, can you imagine that right here downtown Fort Worth, where she was? At the time we settled here, there were all kinds of game and honey and wild grapes were plentiful. Now, I, I think about that. It's like, where do those grapes go? I mean, did they all go up to Grapevine or something like that? It's like, I want my grapes in from downtown again. But, uh, but I love that. She says, though, grapes, however, were the only fruit we had. In fact, she goes on to explain how they were sustained by those grapes. Uh, in fact, they didn't even get their first shipment of vegetables or anything like that. For, uh, from Houston for about 10 years after living out here. It's quite an interesting story that, uh, that we hear about them. But, but, uh, but fruit sustained their lives and kept them going. Um, and it's kind of interesting because fruit has always been a life-sustaining gift from God. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I just kind of let my mind go. It's like, where do I? Where is the fruit in the Bible? It's like, well, I kind of, it's like all the way through. But then it's like, wait a minute, I, we, it's in Genesis one. So I went back and looked, and sure enough, in Genesis chapter one, verse eleven, it talks about the first anything edible, the first anything edible that's in the Bible talks about fruit. God, God provided fruit for the people, fruit for the land, uh, fruit with seeds, so that it would sustain 
life. And like, that's so cool. And then like, well, where else is it in the Bible? Like, well, I know it's at the end too, because there's something about the tree and fruit. And so I looked in the sure enough, uh, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verse two, it talks about the tree of life, which bears fruit and, and it bears fruit like 12 times a year, a different fruit. And, and from that tree, life, eternal life is sustained. And, and I, I, I was like, wait a minute. Here we have the first talking, the first thing of anything edible in the Bible that sustains life is fruit. The last thing that's talked about in the Bible of anything edible that sustains eternal life is fruit. I think that's important. And, and then, you know, you can, I definitely thought back, well, Paul in the New Testament talks about this fruit of the spirit that we as believers are supposed to to have in our lives because it sustains life, not just for us, but for other people. Other people get to partake of what we have, the fruit of the spirit. In fact, in fact, he gives these, uh, he lists them out, nine different fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And see, what happens is when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, this is how it works. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. We've been learning about that over the past few weeks. The Spirit of God lives in us. So it's kind of like this, wherever you go, God is in you. That's amazing. The Spirit of God is in you. But that Spirit of God comes in you and actually begins to change you on the inside, and you begin to produce this spiritual fruit. Uh, but at the same time, we have to cultivate and fertilize that spiritual fruit that's in our lives, just like the way you cultivate and and, uh, and fertilize regular fruits so that it produces more. Uh, that's why some Christians have a lot and some have a little, because some are cultivating it, some are not. But, uh, but, but when we cultivate this fruit of the Spirit and we ask for more of the Holy Spirit into our lives, I'll just tell you the truth. You're going to have a happier home. You're going to be healthier in so many different ways. And, uh, and, and, but, but I think more than anything, of course, you're going to be likable, which is a nice deal, but more than anything, you're going to be bearing fruit that other people are going to be able to take out of your life. You actually get to put a deposit of God in someone else's life. And now one of those fruit that's listed there in his listing is self-control. And, <clears throat> And I'm going to use the term self-discipline because really it means the same thing. And in fact, I, I was uh, noticing the words that we had shared at the beginning of the year, the um, of our one words. A lot, we all we have a little tradition around here. In case you're not familiar with it, we choose one word at the end of the, at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year that's going to mark that next year. It's going to be our kind of our one word theme. And one of the words that so many people chose was self-control or and self discipline. And, and I like that. I thought, you know, that's, that's actually one of the fruit of the spirit. And, and there were four others that were right at the very top and they were also fruit of the spirit. And so I'm going to be sharing about those in this series that I'm called spirit shift, because I want us to shift into a new gear with the spirit of God and let God start doing some amazing stuff in us. So this first one is self control. Now the, the, the definition of this, of this, uh, self discipline is this, it's the ability to manage and restrain yourself. But we all know that's hard. That's not all that easy. And we really, really need God's help to do it. And that's why we have the fruit of the Spirit. You see, God doesn't expect us to like psych ourselves up so that we can have more self-control. He doesn't. Instead, what he does, this is critical to understand this, he gives you a huge dose of his Holy Spirit and it begins to work in your life and it operates in you and causes you to produce this self-control. And then the more you cultivate it, the more it comes out. Um, 
But the thing is, if you don't have self-discipline, your life is going to be out of control. It will be. In fact, uh, anything that's uncontrolled can harm you. Um, out of control living is dangerous, and, and I, I don't ask us to live out of control. Um, in fact, in fact, we, I just finished with a series from the book of Proverbs and scattered all through the book of Proverbs is a lot of talk about living out of control and what it does to you. In fact, I want to share with you just a few of those little points up there that are on the screens and, and the, the scripture references. Some of you just, I just encourage you to take a picture of that. And then you go and, and look up two or three of these scriptures that may be parallel to something that, that you're, that you're working on. Uh, one is, is what happens with uncontrolled anger? Another is uncontrolled lust. Another is uncontrolled spending, uncontrolled drinking, uncontrolled ambition, uncontrolled speech. I mean, anything that's out of control can harm you, and these things can and do. Loss of control in general is just dangerous. In our passage today that we're going to look at in a second, uh, the book of Numbers chapter twenty. Verse 1, hear a little bit of the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Hey, if you guys have ever read, or not read, but if you've ever listened to or watched the Prince of Egypt show, you know a little bit of the background of the story there. You know the first part of the story, but God miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, and uh, and they had left Egypt, and, and after a couple of years in the desert, uh, Moses and, uh, and somewhere between 1.5 to almost 2 million Israelites were there and they were ready to take their new land of promise, this promised land that God had given to them. But what happened is several of the leaders, they looked at the size of the battle that was ahead of them and they decided to take a vote. Well, it was a dangerous thing to do. First time in the Bible, a vote was taken and it didn't turn out good at all. They voted to wander in the desert rather than be settled in the promised land. And Moses was distraught. He was so upset with this thing. And 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 I'm glad we didn't live back in Old Testament times. I, I, I'm really glad of it because, because there's things were kind of black and white back then. We did, we, it wasn't the time of grace. Grace is now under Jesus. But, but back then, I mean, what happened is God says, okay, great. That's the way you want to do it. You, you had your vote. Good. Then every living adult is going to die in the wilderness until a whole new generation comes up that's willing to actually do what I promised you get to do. Because of your lack of faith, you're all going to die. It's like, wow. So they were stuck in the Arabian desert for another 38 years. So what we're about to ready to read was happening kind of about halfway through or two-thirds of the way through that time period. It was a miserable time. And they had been out there some 25 to 30 years already. And, and in this story, you're going to see self-discipline is totally thrown out the window. And, and everyone is driven by all this wild and crazy emotion. Take a look at it. Chapter 20, verse 1 of Numbers. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. You know, <laughs> if you're going to be in the desert of Zin, I think you're in a pretty bad place. Or just the, just the name, right? Just the desert of Zin. You, that's not a place like, hey, you know, I'm going to go hang out in the desert of Zin for a few weeks and have a good time recreation. No, I just for just the name. I was like, I wouldn't go there. But that's where they were. And they stayed at Kadesh. And it says there Miriam, which is Moses' sister, died and was buried. So it's another one of the people who had died during that generation. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and to Aaron. So here you see 
the Israelites in a really bad situation. Basically, water is low. People are rationing whatever water they had left. And it was tough. And what happens when things don't go the way we want them to go? We like to blame, right? We do. And when we do it, it's, it's a part of our culture. We, we live in a very blame-ridden culture. Uh, we, we like to blame our government. We blame spiritual leaders. We blame our bosses. We blame our parents. You know, Instead of looking for an answer, we whine and we blame. And so there was this opposition that, that had risen up against Moses, against the leadership. And this, there's this mass of people that just lost control of their emotions. Now, I know they lost control of their emotions they, they, because they started saying things that were just flat out ridiculous. And it's all recorded for us in the scriptures. In verse number three, we see what they says. It says they quarreled with Moses. And they said, if only we had died, like, wait a minute, they're wishing they were dead. Yeah. So this is what they're saying. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. And then another says, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? that we and our livestock should die here. Another one says, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? <laughs> it doesn't have any figs. There are no, there's no grain. There's no figs. There's no grapevines, because we know all the grapes were here at that time or something like that. But there were no grapevines and no pomegranates. They wanted their pomegranates. And of course, there's no water to drink. They were not in a good mood and they were griping and complaining and, and they were irritated and angry at the leaders because of where they were. To be honest, I mean, you got to think their, their, their whining had got to this place where they were basically saying, hey, we want to go back to be slaves again. We'd rather be slaves because we can have a pomegranate there. What a bunch of complainers. What happened here is they had lost their self-discipline. See, whenever you have a self-discipline loss, what will happen is you're going to find yourself complaining, and that's something to watch about yourself. See, when you're complaining and you're whining, you've lost your self-discipline. Um, let me just share this with you. Whining and complaining are not listed as fruits of the Spirit, okay? <laughs> so it comes from a different source that's not from God. Basically, it's an emotional reaction. Take a look at what James says. James says this. This is Jesus' brother. This is good. He says, anyone who says he's a Christian and doesn't have control of his sharp tongue is just fooling himself, and his religion isn't worth much. Okay, now, that's not, Tim didn't say that. I'm really glad it's not even like First Timothy or anything. That is James. James is the one who just came right out and said that. You know, if, if you call yourself a Christian and you can't discipline your lips, um, which has the ability to nourish and sustain life like fruit, then, then the truth is you're in a bad position. Uh, it says your religion isn't even worth very much. I, you know, I have, a pro I have a project. I have a little challenge for you guys this week. And here's the challenge. I challenge you to go just encourage every single person that you meet this week. Every person that you're interacting with, encourage them in one way or another. Here's why. It's because everyone is having a tough time. Everyone. Everyone is hurting somewhere. So you get to have the choice. I can be an encourager or a discourager. And your words are going to do one thing or another. Do you think you can do that for a week and just encourage people? It's like, well, I don't know what to encourage about. Just, just look at them. And it's like, your, your hair is so puffy and beautiful. Yeah, I, I just say what you, don't say that to a bald person because that, that could, that could like backfire on you like that. But just say something. It's like, John Romero, your beard is so, it's so bearded, manly. 
Uh, that's just, I, I like, so you can find something to say in a positive way to someone. Because here's the deal. Let's just, can we be real? Anyone can be negative. I mean, it, it takes no brains at all to be a critic. <laughs> um, they never build monuments to honor critics. <laughs> no, they build monuments to the people who were criticized by the critics all their lives, and they did something, you know? They did something in spite of the criticism. See, any, any, anyone can be negative, but it takes the Holy Spirit discipline to be positive because our world is becoming increasingly negative, and you feel it, you see it, and you sense it all around, and you know the pressure is great. I was thinking about this this week. I thought, you know, that's actually a huge opportunity for us. Because if you're positive, you are a huge contrast to the rest of the culture. What an opportunity God has actually put right in front of us to display the life and the love and the power of the Holy Spirit in us because of the contrast in our culture. Holy Spirit will help you with that. But uh, we're going to see in this story um, how Aaron and Moses respond to this criticism and, and all this stuff. So let's jump back in verse number six and look at the next thing that happens. Verse six says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. What's what happened here is they went to the place of worship. They began to worship God. And they called on God, and and the glory of God showed up. And so, and and, and that, now that's amazing. That is amazing right there, and that's available to us too. And then the Lord said to Moses, He said, "Take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, and gather the assembly together." So He told him to take his big stick, and um, then He says, "Take this stick." out to where the rock is and look at the next verse, speak to that rock before their eyes and the rock will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they will drink and their livestock will drink also. Look at that. Okay, first of all, just just think of this. Even when bad things are happening, when you feel like everyone has turned against you and everyone else's lack of self-control has ended up like in a disaster for you and has made your life miserable, (laughs) there is a refuge, guys, and that refuge is the presence of God. The presence of God is a place where you can be built up and encouraged and strengthened and renewed. That is the presence of God, and that is a place where God gives answers. One of the things I pray about every Sunday is that when you come here, you are going to have answers from God. There's going to be revelation from God. God is going to touch you in this place. In fact, that's one of the big reasons why we do City Life Night. We'll be doing that next Sunday is, is we are creating space for the Holy Spirit to do exactly what we're reading about that Aaron and Moses received from God when they went to, and met with God. And when Moses and Aaron did this, God came through for them. Uh, and God's going to come through for you too. I believe God will give you a fresh infusion of his Holy Spirit, and he's going to give you grace, grace to produce self-discipline in your life. He will give you the grace to do it. Paul says it this way in, in Titus chapter 2. Paul says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present 
age. You see, when we receive God's presence, his Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. Then we can say no to ungodliness. We can say no to worldly passions. We can live self-controlled lives, and we can have upright and godly lives. That's just when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. That's his grace. But at the same time, guys, it's not automatic. We have a choice to make. You have to like flip the power button. You have to like let God's power start to work on you. You have to, you have to cultivate it. You know, it's like you can, you can take your Keurig and you can plug it into the wall and you're like, woo, got my new Keurig and plug it into the wall and fill it up with your favorite fresh happy water. And, and, and then you get like a little coffee pod and you put it in there. You're so excited about your special exotic coffee pod you got. And okay, ready, go. And you, you uh, close it and. But if you don't push the little blue button, the water will never be transformed into coffee. It will just sit there. All the pieces are there, but you've got to take action as well. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, because we have to take some action. Well, in the situation where Moses and Aaron were there, they chose not to be self-disciplined after God even came through for them. And uh, God even God, you know, God gave them a miracle solution to their problems and everything. But uh, Moses and Aaron, they didn't push the button. <laughs> they lost control and paid a big price for it. Uh, bottom line is Moses mouthed off and he disobeyed God's command. Let's take a look at it in verse number nine. It says, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as God commanded him. So that's the one thing Moses did that was right. So he got the big stick. And then he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the big rock. And then Moses said to them, children of Israel, God is going to deliver you today and give you blessing. Abundant water will flow and... No, actually, the scripture doesn't say that. That's why you should always read the Bible along with me. Make sure I'm not telling you something that's not that. That's not what happened. He, he, he stands up there, and he's, he's, I wanted to say pissed off, but I don't think I can say that in church. He was so upset, and he, he, and, and, and he stands there in front of the people, and he said, you, you listen, listen to me, you, you bunch of rebels. Must we, him and Aaron, bring you water out of this rock? Wait, wait, it's like, no, no, that's not what God said to do. It has nothing to do with you bringing water out of the rock, Mo. It has to do with God working a miracle, bringing the water out of the rock. So Moses then raises his arm and he struck the rock twice. Bam, bam, with, with, with a big stick. And it says water then gushed out and the community and the livestock drank. It's like, well, they got their answer, but all of a sudden, the big show is look at Moses and Aaron coming to the rescue and look at us, how good we are. And none of it was about God because God just wanted the people to get out there and, and the, the, the stick, which is like representing the, the power of God, just to be right there. And Moses is going to say, water, come now as God commands. But no, instead, Moses and Aaron are now looked at, man, these guys, our leaders are buff. Man, they are tough. You know, Moses just takes his stick and punches rocks. That guy's tough. We, we want to have strength like that. We want to have muscle like that. Look at that. Look at that. You see, it was all twisted. And, and it's all because Moses lost his cool at the rock. 
Now, I know that we might think that he had reason to do so. I would think he had reason to do so. Uh, uh, I, I, Moses is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, but, uh, but, you know, as a leader, he had to deal with, with people who were complaining all the time. He, I'm sure he was just tired of this whole deal that it was taking them 40 years to get ready to go ahead and take the promised land. Uh, you know, leaders don't like long, drawn-out campaigns. They want to go in there and deal with it and nail it. Uh, Moses didn't really have the good support from his team that was around him, uh, including his own brother Aaron. One time he was gone for a few days to to be with God and and uh, and while he's gone, Aaron just create you know gets all the gold from the camp together and creates this golden calf. And Aaron and Moses comes back. What happens? Like, well, it's just like it just, ooh, it just showed up. I don't know. You know, it's like it's like what is going on? And then there's Korah. He uh, he led this popular rebellion against Moses. Uh, and, and another time, the, the spies, like I told you about, they 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 rejected really Moses' leadership and the direction God had given them, and they decided to take it to a vote and and they basically erased the whole process that God had set up for them to walk into the promised land. And they ended up dead as a result of it. Moses, his, his, his sister Miriam even turned against him and publicly opposed his leadership. And then, then their sister, their brother Aaron came and joined her and they were both against him. And so he, I'll just say, Moses could have used a therapist out there in the, in the, in the wilderness. He, he could have used a good therapist, but he didn't have a therapist. And so he had a lot of baggage to deal with. So you know, I, I, I still look at Moses like, I, yeah, but I probably would have done the same thing. I probably yelled and hit the rock. But you know what? God, this, this story is here for a reason. God is reminding us that failure to control ourselves not only makes us look like fools, but it diminishes our ability to follow the direction of God and it causes repercussions that impact our lives and the lives of others in huge negative ways. Our responsibility really is very similar to the responsibility that Moses has. We have the responsibility to control and discipline ourselves and simply obey God, even though it may not be the colorful thing to do. Here's the deal. Moses failed the test miserably. But then again, think how often you and I have failed the test. Because every time we fail the test and we lose our self-discipline, basically it's, exp- it's all, always exposed. Whenever we lose it, we're just letting everybody know, yeah, I don't have self-discipline. Basically, you're letting the world know that you are not self-disciplined whenever you just lose it. I've often wondered how many people destroy their careers with their mouths. Um, how many people have destroyed their family and their kids, their marriages with their mouths? How many people have destroyed a wonderful friendship or a business deal with their mouths? Solomon says it well. In Proverbs 13, he says, guard your words and you'll guard your life. But if you don't control your tongue, it will ruin everything, everything. That is huge. This one little thing can ruin so much. Now, that's why we need the grace of the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in us, the self-discipline. And see, what we see with, with Moses is, is uh, you know, what, what he was doing. He was causing this chain of events, this chain reaction thing to happen. And it was, it was a mess out there. It's kind of like the chain reactions that happens in today's American families, you know. Uh, like the dad comes home from work. He's had a horrible, exhausting day. He was there. Uh, uh, let's just say he was there at the church doing everything for everybody and trying to keep everybody happy. That's where the dad works. And he comes home and he yells at the mom. And then and it's like, ah, and the mom then just yells at the older brother. And the older brother then yells at the little sister. And the little sister gets mad. And she goes and 
kicks the dog and, and the dog, you know, that's the sound the dog makes. And then the dog runs over there and it's like, well, there's the cat. And dog's the dog bites the cat and the cat reacts. And, you know, his cat needs to do something. So the cat's like, well, there's that little boy that I can't stand. So she goes over to the three-year-old boy and claws the boy. And, and, then, and then the little boy is there crying and he's with his little, his little with his Sheriff Woody action figure and he bites the head off of Sheriff Woody. You know, it's, it's just, that's how those things happen. It's just a chain reaction. Um, sometimes it makes me wonder, it's like, well, wouldn't it be better just for the dad to come home, bite the head off of Sheriff Woody and you know, eliminate all the in-between stuff? That would have made it a lot easier. But you just, the truth is, though, there's always this chain reaction when we lose it, when we lose it. You know, what you say can make you happy and it can make you sad. What you say can make you healthy and it can make you unhealthy. What you say can make you wiser and it can make you more foolish. So your words build people up or your words tear people down. Uh, your words can get you hired and your words can get you fired. <laughs> I'm going to be candid with you. I've, I've heard before, you know, people say, I'm just so ashamed of what I said. You know, it's not like me. Uh, I don't know what came over me. It's not like me to say that kind of thing. And I just want to look at them and says. Yes, it is just like you. It is exactly you. I mean, the truth is, we need to quit kidding ourselves when you say something mean. It's because there's something mean on the inside, and you really need the Holy Spirit to flood you. God gives us the ability to listen to our own words to then figure out, okay, what's on the inside? Because what just came out is what's on the inside, so you can deal with it. Our words are an overflow of what's happening on the inside. If you have an angry mouth, then you have a harsh heart. If you have a negative mouth, then you're displaying a fearful heart. If you have an overactive mouth, just talking all the time, you have an unsettled heart. If you have a judgmental mouth, then you have a guilty heart. If you have a foul mouth, then you have an impure heart. You have to go around saying hell all the time, then you know you've got hell in your heart. <laughs> If you have to be critical all the time, then you're, you know, then your heart has a bitter spirit. If you go around boasting all the time, you have an insecure heart. But on the other hand, if you have an encouraging word to say, then you have a joy-filled heart. If you have a gentle mouth, then you have love in your heart. If, if you have a controlled mouth, then you have a peaceful heart. What comes out of you originates from the spirit that's in you. And if the measure of God that's in you is very low, that's what the opposite is going to come out. Let me just ask you a question. Do you find yourself like losing it all the time? (laughs) Well, this final portion of our text is really the most difficult to read, but it's the most sobering and most powerful part of this message because you heard it, Moses lost it. He smarted off to everybody, and in anger, he struck the rock and trying to look like macho macho leader and instead of speaking to it the way God had commanded. And look what happened in verse 12. This is sobering. Again, thank God we're not in the Old Testament. It says, but the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses and Aaron were not able to go in, and they lost it all. They couldn't lead 
the Israelites into the promised land, Moses missed out on inheriting everything that his whole life was built around. He missed the greatest blessing imaginable, which really leads me to say a loss of self-discipline. What it does is it hinders the future blessings of God in your life. God loves you. That's why he gives you the Holy Spirit. It's so that you can produce spiritual fruit. So you don't have to miss out on the blessings. But if you keep losing it, you're, you're, you're missing out on so much. In fact, Solomon stated this regarding the loss of self-control. It's basically like inviting the enemy into our lives when we lose self-control. He stated this in Proverbs 25, verse 28. He says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You know, in those times, if walls, if a city didn't have walls, they were giving in to the enemy. It was like a free ticket to the, to the enemy. It's like, come on in, take what you want. And uh, in the same way, in our lives, if we don't have self-discipline, we're giving over control of our lives to the enemy, guys. That's frightening. And some of you, I know you're struggling with some sin patterns and you, want, you don't feel like you have any defense over it. And, and so I want to ask you the question, instead of focusing on that, can you look at this other part of your life? Do you find yourself losing control all the time? Do you find that, that you just kind of keep letting everybody have it with your words? Because the truth is, these problems over here, might actually be a self-discipline problem. Your, your walls are torn down. You have no defense against the enemy. That's why you feel like, I can't succeed in this area. But as you call on God, God fills you with more of his spirit. You cultivate this fruit of the spirit in your life. You build a protective wall again around your, your heart. And that new protective wall is going to keep the enemy at bay. That is how it works. So there is hope. <laughs> there is great hope. That's why we keep, I'm always just going to point you right back to Jesus. This ancient songwriter wrote this song, and it was, uh, these are the lyrics to the song. He's talking to his own soul, and he's telling himself in this song, don't be discouraged, don't be disturbed, for I know my God will break through for me. Then I'll have plenty of reasons to praise him all over again. Yes, living before his face is my saving grace. Would you love that to be your song? It can be. It can be. There is hope. Where you are today is not where you're going to be tomorrow. Let's make the choice for more of God. Let's flip that switch. We just bow your heads all across this room for just a moment. No movement. And, and uh, I'm going to ask you to focus internally because there may be some of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And, uh, and if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity before we close today to have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And, and that way the Holy Spirit will take up residence in you. The way to acknowledge that is just by lifting your hand. So when I count to three, if that's you, say, you know what, I, I do need Jesus. I, I do need his spirit in me. Just lift your hand for me and then I'll connect my faith with yours and we'll pray and you can receive him into your life. Is that you? Do you want to be included in this prayer to surrender your life completely to Jesus? Lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up for me so I can see and I can connect my faith with yours. Thank you. If you lifted your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray these words with me. I'm going to ask every believer in this room to pray it as well. Will you do that? Pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. 
I believe you're the son of God. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. It's time for me to live. Thank you for self-discipline. I receive that into my life as well as new fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd like for us to all do before we leave today. I want you to stand up and I want us to, you know what? I think it's just good that we just ask God personally for more of his spirit, more of his spirit. I mean, they're, they're, come on, there's not a one of us in here who can say, I, I can use a little more of that self-discipline. I know, I, I do. Uh, you know, I, yesterday, I caught myself. I said something just a little harsh and abrasive, just like one word, like, oh, that, that, that wasn't good. And I was like, man, and I have to preach on self-discipline. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we all need it. We all need it. We all need more. And that's more of his spirit. Would you just reach up to God right now and just ask for more of his spirit with me? God, God, we just, with our hands raised up to you, God, we just ask for more of your spirit, more self-discipline, God, more of your spirit that's going to produce these the, the, the fruit of the spirit in our lives, God, that we'll be able to be overcomers, that we're not going to be controlled by what's happening around us, that we're going to have a wall built around our hearts that's going to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you, God. There's always hope. God, there's always hope for us. We're not going to give up. There is hope for a better tomorrow. And we receive that and we are grateful for it in Jesus name. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.